Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, it's great to see all of you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, Let's go ahead and pray one more time before we dive into our message from John 14. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your word is sufficient to lead us, to know you, to love you, to serve you. I pray now, God, that you would help calm my nerves, um, that you would be with uh, these friends, and that you would open their hearts and their minds to receive the truth of your word, and that you would help us to live together for your glory and for your purposes. We, we need your help, and we ask now that you be with us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I hope you all had a great morning. I started my morning off getting up at 5 a.m. to get here for the sunrise service that was at 6.15, and every year it seems like it surprises me that it's cold outside. <laughs> it was 29 degrees when I left my house this morning. And um, one of the things that I made a mistake of when I was playing guitar for the Sunrise Service is I picked songs that had bar chords. So if you know anything about guitar, uh, that means that you have to use like your entire hand. And when it's really cold outside and you're trying to strum guitar and play along in these chords, it just does not lead to life and success. It just leads to misery. So um, it took me about 45 minutes to warm up after the sunrise service. I enjoyed my time with everybody. I hope that you guys did. A few of you were there. Uh, It was great to watch the sunrise uh, and to see the new dawn, the new day, a reminder of God's faithfulness and his promises, his work within us. And it's great to now be together in a warm place (laughs) where we can worship God. So you may be thinking to yourself as we come to this sermon, it's Resurrection Sunday and This pastor is preaching to us from John 14 about the Holy Spirit. What in the world does this have to do with what we're doing as we celebrate Easter? Well, Easter is about the entire message of the gospel. That Jesus came, that he died in our place, that he was buried, that he rose again, that those who repent and believe have faith and life in him, and that he's coming again so that we can live with him and reign with him in glory. And one of the things that John has been highlighting through this gospel as we've been able to spend some time together through it is how Jesus is going to accomplish this work and what he's going to leave us as his followers with. So have you ever thought this question yourself? What do we do now with the gospel that Jesus isn't here? What do we do with the gospel now that Jesus isn't here with us, right? It's 2023 We are not walking with the physical Lord Jesus, but we are here worshiping Jesus, celebrating the reality of his death, burial, resurrection, celebrating the reality of his reign and rule over our life. What are we to do with this message, this good news? Well, the Bible gives us a few ideas. We should proclaim the good news. We should tell people about the Savior who has come to rescue sinners. We should tell people about their condition in sin and the availability of the gospel message to all those that would hear and respond to it and the life that they could have within God. You know, when we think of the gospel message now as people who are no longer with Jesus physically, but we are walking with him spiritually, we can feel like the kids who have just been told by their parents, hey, we're going away for a few minutes, just don't do anything crazy, right? 
Have you ever been in that situation where you've maybe told your kids or you were the kid that your parents just said, hey, I'm going to go out for 10 minutes right down the street. I'm going to get some groceries and just don't let the house burn down. My parents gave me that message once or twice. And maybe parents don't do that anymore. I, I'm not sure. That, that might be a whole conversation <laughs> itself. Um, but we at times feel like a group of people who are going, okay, we have one instruction, don't do anything crazy, don't let the house burn down, what are we supposed to do outside of this? I think John 14 actually gives us the answer. John 14 shows us that those who are in the gospel, those that are in Christ, while we wait for his return, what are we to do? We're to live for God by the help of the Holy Spirit. We're to live for God by the help of the Holy Spirit. So the only way that we can love Jesus and keep his commandments is by the Spirit's power and work in us. Uh, this passage teaches us three things about the Holy Spirit. The first is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. In verses 15 through 17, the, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The second is that the Holy Spirit comforts us with the reality of our union with God. In verses 18 through 24, the Holy Spirit comforts us with the reality of our union with God. And then the final point that I'll lead us through today is that the Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us peace. Verses 25 through 31. The Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us peace. How can we love God and live for him and keep his commandments? By the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this first idea. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. In verse 15, God's word says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. I'm just going to stop right there for a moment because this is something that John is going to highlight from Jesus' mouth to his disciples about three or four times within this passage. So I think if you're taking notes, this may be a really helpful thing to write down. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay? So in this passage, we're, we have to recognize Jesus is with the disciples. He has just washed their feet in chapter 13. He spent the Passover meal with them. He told them that he was going to be betrayed. He leaves them with this command that they're to love one another and show the world their obedience to God through their love and care for each other. In the beginning of chapter 14, he told them that he was the only way to a right relationship with God. There's no way of being rightly related to God outside of Jesus and what he has done and who he is. And now he tells them that he is going to leave them not only with a place that he's preparing for them, but a person that's going to be there to comfort them. That's the person, the Holy Spirit. And he gives them this command again. It's based in chapter 13 as they follow up leading to the cross. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Following God is about love and obedience. Love and obedience. Following God is about love and obedience. More to come on that. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be within you. So after this commandment, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus gives us this promise. He tells us something to do, and then he tells us that he has help to help us do this. What is that help? It's the help of the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Up to this point, the disciples have found their counsel and their comfort in Jesus. And Jesus has told them that he's going away into the place that he's going. They can't come. Now, at least not yet. They can't go and be with him. So they were reeling and left with this unfamiliar, not comfortable situation, not really knowing what was going to take place next. And Jesus tells them, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you a counselor. But unlike Jesus, who would temporarily be with these disciples, he gives them this promise that the person to come, the Holy Spirit who is coming, is going to come and be with them forever. Forever. He is also the Spirit of truth. So he's not only someone who will comfort these disciples, but tell them the truth of who God is and what he has done and tell them the truth of their situation. We're going to see more on that in verses 25 to 31. But notice something that's here. This is the spirit that's given to these disciples, but Jesus tells them that the world is not able to receive this spirit. So is the Holy Spirit for everyone? No, the Holy Spirit is for those who believe. The Holy Spirit works within those who believe. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it in the Father. And then in verse 17, the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him, see him, or know him. As the Jewish people have responded to the gospel, as the crowds have responded to Jesus' work, we've seen again and again chaos, confusion, and misunderstanding in what Jesus has done and who he is. Some people think that he's this wonderful prophet. Other people think that he's a teacher. Other people think that he's just some sort of miracle worker. But Jesus is not just those things. He is God of God, the Son of God, who has come to rescue and save. And this world doesn't know him. So the, the contrast to that is that you do know him. These disciples know him because he remains with you and be with, he will be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit dwells with those who believe. It, compared to the Old Testament, the Old Testament gives us this idea that the Spirit did not dwell within people. The Spirit temporarily came upon people, but it never dwelled within them. It was here and then gone, here and then gone. And now Jesus is telling them, as he has come and as he is going, that he is going to send the Spirit who will stay with them forever. He will remain with you and will be in you. So the first reality we see from John 14 is that we can love God and keep his commandments because we have the Spirit of God in us. The second is that the Holy Spirit has come to comfort us with the reality of who we are in God. Look at verse 18. As Jesus again delivers his news, I'm going away. In verse 18, he says to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Again, if we think of that idea of parents you know, saying, hey, kids, I'm going to go down the street. Don't let anything crazy happen. <laughs> Hear the words of Jesus. I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you alone. Maybe you're coming to church this morning and the way that you relate to your parents is not like what we see here in the scripture. Maybe your parents have left you alone. Maybe you don't feel the love of a father or the love of a mother in your life. 
But notice what Jesus says to these disciples. He's not saying that he's their mom or their dad. He's saying, I'm not going to leave you. The counselor that's with you is going to come and give you comfort that goes beyond that of the familial relationships that even today we hold on to with strength, but yet are still weak and can fail us. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now, what does he have in mind here? I think verse, the rest of the passage will help clarify that. In verse 19, he says, In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And he's pointing to, further to the, the crucifixion. The world will no longer see me. I'm going to, to die, and they're going to cast me out. But I will come back for you, disciples. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Do you see the repetition of that command back in verse 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, in verse 20, or 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. In light of this, the Spirit's coming. We're not going to be left to ourselves. Jesus is going to return. He's going to return to these disciples after his crucifixion, before he goes to be ascended to the Father. And what is that, that entire event about? Verse 20 is what it's about. That they would know that the Father was indeed in the Son, and the Son was in the Father, and that they were actually in him. This is what we call the Christian doctrine of union, union with God. When we actually enter into faith, a relationship with God, it's not only the idea that we're saved and we're kind of put into this condition where we're, we're just all, all outside of God, but we are actually united to him in Christ. Right? Romans 5 shows us that all who have sinned are in Adam, but those who repent and believe are now in Christ. Our right standing with God is not merely just the idea of our standing with good credit that's kind of like a carbon copy of something. It is that we are in Christ. We are united to him. That's the idea of union. We're united to him. So Jesus is telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit's coming so that you would know the comfort of your relationship with us is not just in the sense of, hey, I am in what we would call like pseudo-community, right? You're here, I'm here, we get along. No, this is deep community. You are one with God. You're relating to him through what? Through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. How do we see that love and that relationship carried out? Through obedience and trust and love. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So Jesus tells them that as they follow him, he will reveal himself to them. But notice Judas in verse 22. Okay, so this is not Judas Iscariot. I really love that our Bibles give us the note for that, because if we were left to ourselves, we would be going, hold on a second. Well, didn't he just go away? and Wasn't he entered in by Satan? This, this is a little confusing, right? So thank you, modern translators, for your help. And this, this is not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, one of the other disciples, turns to Jesus and he just says, hey, how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not the whole world? 
Judas doesn't understand something that Jesus has already said in verses 16 and 17. Has Jesus been in the world? Could they see him physically? The answer to that is yeah, right? Jesus has been walking. He is in human form. He can be seen within the world. But this text tells us that they don't see him. They don't know who he is. They don't understand who he is. So Judas is asking this question going, hey, how are you going to do this? How, is this going to be some sort of secret event? Like, do we need to go into hiding for this situation? And Jesus, I think it's really interesting, he doesn't actually give Judas a straight answer here. Notice what he says. He almost like hears the question and he just goes, if you love me, you'll keep my word. <laughs> so for the third time, <laughs> Jesus is telling these disciples, hey, you're going to feel a little alone. You're going to feel like, it, you're confused and you're not sure where to go, and it's going to feel like you're a bit without directions, but if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He's trying to draw them back to that principle. Well, how can we keep your commands, Jesus? I'm giving you a helper. I'm going to give you a helper. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Back in John 14, verse 2, Jesus has just said to the disciples, Peter has said, hey, I want to go and die with you. I'm ready to go to the end, Jesus. And Jesus responds and says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You're not going to come, but you will come later. And the, Peter's probably feeling the weight of like, oh man, I've just messed up with Jesus again. In John 14, 1, Jesus said to not just Peter, but the entire group, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. And then he gave them the promise that he was going away to prepare a place for them. In fact, it says he was going away to prepare a place, a house that had many rooms. Now look again at John 14 and verse 23. If you love me and keep my word, my father will love you and will come, we will come to you and make our home with you. So this gospel promise back in John 14, 2 is now being realized again in John 14, 23. Said and repeated again, all based on what? Based on loving God and keeping his commandments. But the emphasis of loving God and keeping his commandments here is particularly centered around this word, my word, in verse 23. It's a trust to what Jesus has said. It's a trust to what he has done to this point and what he is going to do. So how can we be united to God? We're united by faith through the Holy Spirit, and we are united so that we can keep Jesus' word, particularly we can follow his commands and believe in what he has said. And the application of this union is now seen in how we relate to God. The Spirit dwells within us. The Father loves us and is pleased with us. The Son loves and reveals himself to us. The father and son make their home with us. We have not only this idea of right relationship, but now we have family with God. 
my family with God. But it begs the question again, is this for everyone? Is this for everyone? Well, Judas just said, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us but not to the whole world? There are going to be some who understand this. Jesus is telling this to the 12 disciples, not to thousands of disciples. He's not telling this to large crowds of people. He's telling this to his inner circle saying, hey, I'm going to go away. I'm going to give you the helper. And in light of that, it's not going to be easy, but you're going to have help from the Spirit. But not everyone's going to believe, friends. Not everyone is going to believe. Only those who repent and believe in Jesus and what he has done can actually be in the family of God. So the question is, do you repent and believe? Are you part of God's family? Do you belong? That's the only way for us to be united to God in a right relationship with him. The passage ends with this third idea that the Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us peace. How can we have peace in a chaotic world? By the Spirit. Verse 25. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. I think this is just a good point to park on for a moment, is because the, the church at large right now in America has a lot of things to say about the Holy Spirit and a lot of things that seems like aren't actually connected to what the Word says about the Holy Spirit. What is the main task of the Holy Spirit? Does anybody want to give that a shot? What's the main task of the Holy Spirit? We just read it. He's a helper to guide us. Yep. So who's, somebody just mumbled, teach us? Yes, teach us. To teach us God's Word. The primary thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian is remind us of everything that Jesus has told us. Think of the Great Commission, okay? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always. Now, it's not to say that the Holy Spirit can't do anything outside of teaching. That's no, we're not going to try to box up the Spirit. That's not a good idea for us. But it is important for us to at least highlight the main things are the plain things. So how does the Holy Spirit work? He works through teaching us, helping the Word of God come alive to us. How can these people have family with God? How can they actually have comfort with God? Through the reminder of what Jesus has said. Right? It's easy for us. We're the kids at home waiting for our parents, right? Okay, you said you'd be gone for 10 minutes. An hour goes by. What do we do? We start to worry, right? We start to go, where are they? (laughs) Maybe they took their grocery shopping just a little too long, right? Maybe they went like three towns over and they weren't able to get everything. Anxiety builds up within us and we're going, mom, dad, help. (laughs) What are we supposed to do? And the only thing that we can hold on in that moment is what mom and dad have said to us. I'm going to the store. I'll be back. Don't do anything crazy. Here we are following Jesus, going, Jesus, the world is falling apart. (laughs) 
What are we supposed to do? And Jesus says this before the cross even comes into light in John's gospel. He says to these disciples, all these things are going to happen, and when they do, I've told you these things so that you would know that I am who I said I am. I've told you all this is going to take place, and what do you need to do? You need to rest in reminding yourselves of what I have said to you. My word, trust my word, disciples. The world's falling apart. God, what are we supposed to do? It seems like people don't really want to hear the good news of Jesus right now. What are we supposed to do? Trust God. He's sovereign. We're not. We are not God. We can't put ourselves in the place of God and say, hey, if I do all of this just right and say all of the right things at all the right times, then all of these people will come to know him. Right? That, that is not a great evangelism strategy. Evangelism does rest on the, the proclaiming of words. But I don't know about you, but I've at least seen more often than not through my fumbling of words, God is able to save people. Sometimes even like in this morning, as I'm preaching a message to a church family that I love and know, it feels like when I'm stumbling through my words, I'm going, Lord, how are you going to bring this all to clarity for these people? Through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is sovereignly at work within his people to show them the realities of who he is. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher He reminds us of what Jesus has said. Remember that, friends. And so when people try to emphasize something that's not this, you can go, all right, hey, that's, thank you. The Spirit teaches us. This is what the Word says. We have the inspired Word of God and the Spirit of God to reveal that Word, to help sharpen that Word within us so that we may know and love God and trust His Word. But he doesn't just teach us, he gives us peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Verse 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let's leave this place. So this is the end, at least what I've read through commentaries. This is what they would say is the end of the Passover meal in John's Gospel. Uh, In other Gospels, we see him instituting the Lord's Supper, but in this this version of John's gospel, we're getting to see Jesus speaking directly to the disciples and saying, hey, here's what you need to know, and here's the main command that you need to be comforted with as I head to the cross. It's remember what I've said to you. Love me and follow what I've said. And now, again, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Have you ever felt a sense of security and peace from the world? Maybe this is like financial peace, right? Does anybody have financial peace? <laughs> okay, we're in good company, right? It doesn't feel like we all have financial the, the boys up in the back are like, yeah, I've got financial peace, right? You're 16, 17, man, yeah. Of course you do. 
<laughs> your financial peace is even yours, all right? <laughs> Maybe you feel like you don't have financial peace. Maybe you, you wish that you had more in your bank account. Maybe you wish... Maybe you think of peace within your job setting. Maybe you really enjoy your job right now. Anybody really enjoy their job? I love mine. I love being a pastor. There's nothing else I would do. Yes, amen. It's it's great when you are enjoying the work that you're in, right? When you're not enjoying it, it is hard, right? It's hard when you don't enjoy where you are. But those peace, that sense of peace is, whether it's work, or finances, or relationships, you fill in the blank, those are temporary modes of peace. The world may give us some sort of peace, but it is not the peace that we get with God. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I, give, I do not give to you as the world gives to you. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. A repetition of John 14, 1, don't be afraid, friends. I'm with you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm giving you help. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you a peace that is not like the peace of this world, a peace that won't leave you. You've heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm coming to you. And Jesus says this really interesting thing right after that. If you loved me, you would rejoice with me. Now think about this. If we fast forward to John chapter 18, the betrayal scene where Jesus is handed over to the actual Judas Iscariot and to then to the Jewish leaders, John 19 into John 20, as Peter is actually confronted by the Sanhedrin, another group of people, and they all say, hey, aren't you with that Galilean? And his response is, nope, not me. Nope, not me. I, I don't know this man. They, they've had this news that this is coming. And they're all saying, like, hey, we've got this. We're, we, we understand this. We're willing to go and die with you, Jesus, right? Peter's words in John 13. And Jesus tells them, that's not the way that this is going to play out, friend. But if you did hear this, you would be rejoicing at the fact that I'm not going to be with you. When, when Jesus left the disciples, when he was arrested, the disciples were in disarray. They scattered. They didn't know where to go or what to do because they forgot what Jesus told them. He says, you would rejoice. Why would they rejoice at the idea of the loss of their counselor, their comforter, their teacher, their friend? They would rejoice because they recognize that he's going to God the Father. That he's going to the Father, and the Father is greater than he. And then he delivers this news, I'm not going to be with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world, that's Satan. Satan is coming. Notice what he says in verse 30. Satan has no power over me. He's coming, but he has no power over me. So what does he do? Rather than running from the cross, he runs to it. He runs to it. He says, let's get up. Let's leave this place. Let's do as the Father has said for us. Friends, what do we learn in light of Jesus here in John 14? We learn that we have to follow his command to love him and to keep his commands. We can only love God if we rightly relate to him through the gospel, through repentance and faith. We can only keep his commands not by ourselves, but by the power of the Spirit of God within us. And the only way that we can get up and go and run 
towards God and his purposes is by remembering who Jesus is, that he has done it, and trusting that he will lead us through the Spirit for his glory, for our good, even when it's tough. So do you have peace with God? Do you know God? Do you see the Spirit of God at work within you? If you don't, you want to learn some more about following Jesus today? I'm here, and the other bald guys with beards, Joe and Caleb, we're here to talk to you too. We're here to tell you what it looks like to follow Jesus, to love him, and to serve him with all your life. Let's pray, and we're going to see the gospel on display in baptism. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for Jesus, that he went to the cross to die for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and that by his rising, we have a way to relate to you. And not only that, but those who now believe in you, who have entered into a relationship with you, have the promise of your spirit, who dwells within us, who reminds us of how we stand with you, how we relate to you, who teaches us and gives us peace. I pray that you would help each person today to, to know your peace, to love you, and to relate to you. And may we encourage them as they continue to walk with you uh, through our example and through our encouragement uh, to keep going for your purposes in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we get to see a couple of baptisms. Uh, 